The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 383. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back in the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. You can find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me an email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. You can support the show by going to mcclanahanacademy.com, where it's always free to enroll. You get a free class when you do enroll, and you get the best deals on new and forthcoming courses, and you get the best Black Friday coupons if you're watching this before Christmas. 2020, you're getting those coupons. But you got to be a member to get the coupons. And I'm talking major deals, 40 to 50% off some of the classes. So it's a good time to be subscribing at McClanahan Academy because you are going to get those deals. It's also a great way to support the show. You can support the show also by clicking on that shop tab at brianmcclanahan.com. Another thing for a Christmas gift, you get my logo and all kinds of cool stuff. Shirts, wall clocks, all kinds of cool things. Stickers. Plus, you can click on that support tab. You can get your Brian McClanahan book plate if you want my autograph on, on one of my books, which I've got a number of those. Southern Scribblings being my most recent. A great book. You can also throw a few pennies my way, help keep these lights on, help keep the podcast going. You can go to Learn True History, Learn True History, T-R-U-E, Learn True History. And this is my affiliate link for Tom Woods Liberty Classroom, another great way to support the show. All kinds of great ways to support the show. As always, share it around on social media. Uh, rate it wherever you get your podcasts. Let people know you're listening to it. We need more people thinking locally and acting locally. And uh, that's the best way to do it. Organic growth is the best growth. Letting your friends know because they might be persuaded. Oh, if my friend listens to this, I'm going to listen to it. Well, I want to talk about a topic today that I alluded to in a previous podcast. And it's about... This idea of unity in America, what does that actually mean? When someone talks, when Joe Biden stands up and says, you know what we need to do? We need to unify America. What is he talking about there? Is there really an American unity? Is there even an, an, a unity in the Democrat Party? We know that doesn't exist. We know unity in the Democrat Party does not exist. How do we know this? Well, because we have the far left progressive wing of the Democrat Party. Now, in conflict with the supposed moderates of the Democrat Party. And Biden, I think, in some ways is seen as a unifying candidate, maybe to bring in some of the older votes in the Democrat Party. You see, Biden is 76. He's going to appeal to the baby boomers who are now in their 70s, late 60s, 70s. He's going to appeal to that old American nationalist element that might have voted for the Democrats, but yet they were turned off by the lefties. They were turned off by the social justice warrior crowd. But Donald Trump also turns them off. You see, the thing that nobody really got about Donald Trump, Donald Trump was a 1950s Democrat. That's all he was. Donald Trump was a 1950s Democrat. And when he talked about making America great again, there was certainly that aspect to it. It's also a very Jeffersonian thing to say. And I'm going to talk about that with unity because that's important. When has America ever been unified? When has America been in a situation where people believe that we're all on the same page moving forward? I'm going to point out 
two particular time periods that I think are important in this. Now, what Biden is talking about is one of them. And what we really need to be talking about is another one. And there's some, there's some similarity in the two periods, but there's also a major difference. So when you look at American history, is there really a period of time when Americans unified? Let's just go through some of the periods. Well, American War for Independence. Was America unified? Not really. You had a large faction of Americans that were not behind that war. In fact, you had some pretty severe conflicts that led to bloodshed in the colonies, later states in the United States in this particular period of time in America. So we weren't really unified there. Were we unified in the period after the war? Not really. You had tremendous conflict between these states and what they really wanted out of the general government, what they wanted out of American society. You had 13 independent countries in America following the war. As recognized by the British, by the way, as recognized by the Articles of Confederation, we didn't have a unified America. Then you get the Constitution. And it's often said that this Constitution, e pluribus unum, created out of many one, created this unified America. But were we really that unified even on the Constitution? The vote for ratification was razor thin in many states. Three votes in New York, barely a majority in many other states, even states that had strong Federalist or proponents of the document. We know two states rejected it outright, North Carolina and Rhode Island. So were we really that unified? In fact, Connecticut's an interesting situation. Connecticut often seen as this state that was resoundingly for the Constitution, But the opposition press was silenced in Connecticut. They weren't even allowed to publish their opposition to the document. This is where we get the term browbeaten from, you see. So we have people being forcibly dragged in Pennsylvania into their seats to have a quorum because we know there was enough opposition in Pennsylvania. There were riots, essentially. The pro-Constitution people violently abusing the anti-Constitution people in Pennsylvania. So were we really unified then? Not really. We were unified behind George Washington. So if you want to say that Washington was a unifier, well, he was. In fact, I think that's the glue that held the early Federal Republic together. One person, George Washington. That's it. That's what unified America between 1788, say, and 1797, when John Adams assumed office. Were we unified in 1797? Far from it. In fact, those four years are a nice example of how America was not even close to being unified. This was a mirage during the Washington administration. A mirage. We weren't really unified then at all. We have the federal government cracking down on political dissent. In fact, they're trying to rig elections. I just did a podcast on rig elections. I didn't talk about these. They're trying to rig elections through the Alien Sedition Acts. They're trying to make it to where the opposition can't even publish anything saying negative things about John Adams or the Congress. This leads to the uh, Virginia-Kentucky resolutions. So we know America wasn't unified then. What about 1800? We get the 1800 election. And this is interesting because at this particular point, we had a disputed election. 
between Jefferson and Aaron Burr. And there was some talk about secession in 1800 and 1801 from New England Federalists who didn't want to be part of the Union. So were we unified then? Well, I can say this. After Jefferson assumes office in 1801, there were certainly factions in New England that were against Jefferson, but they were in the vast minority. In fact, what I will say about Jefferson in the Jeffersonian period, 1801 to 1825, is that Americans were generally unified in that particular period of time. And what were they unified around? Well, most Americans did not think the Supreme Court was doing the right thing in its mandates from the bench. And we know this because the Republicans kept getting elected to the Congress and because the Republicans consistently railed against the Supreme Court. But that unelected branch of government was doing a number on Republican legislation. We also know Americans were unified because for 24 straight years, we had a Virginian in the executive branch, Jefferson, Madison, and Monroe. And James Monroe was almost unanimously elected. So we know Americans were generally unified there, and they were unified in a spirit of Jeffersonianism, making America great. You see, when Trump said, make America great, what he was really talking about, he got that from Pat Cadell, who was really talking about a Jeffersonian vision of America. Not a strong central authority, not a government that can do anything that, uh, you know, anything under the sun, but a government that's limited in power, a people that are prosperous, that liberty is the direct end of government. It did have some economic nationalism to it, as did these 24 years where you had Republicans around. I mean, this is Drew McCoy and the elusive republic. The national Republicans came to prominence during the Jeffersonian period. Henry Clay was a Republican. He wasn't a Federalist, he was a Republican, and he liked parts of this national agenda, which he thought was economic, right? Internal improvements, canals, central banking. Jefferson, I mean, we, we saw the central bank fall away in 1811, only to come back, roaring back under James Madison, because it was thought it was needed to go and fight wars, essentially to defend the United States. But we generally had some consensus during this particular period of time. Of course, there were, other, there were issues that strained things. But there was some general consensus in this 24-year period over the direction of America. Westward expansion, how that was going to be politically handled was a whole other issue. We saw that with Missouri. But certainly, there was some consensus in America over these things. We had a war during this period of time, which by the way, was hotly contested in New England and almost led to New England secession again there. But there was a general consensus. You could make an argument, though, that this opposition to the war was something that showed America really wasn't unified. We know America wasn't unified in 1824 with the 1824 election. We know that America was somewhat unified under Andrew Jackson for eight years though there was a lot of opposition to Andrew Jackson, particularly even in the South. And then you get Martin Van Buren, not really unified there. The rise of the Whig Party, not a whole lot of unification there. Very close elections, split elections. Martin Van Buren, you know, 1836, 
one of the things the Whigs tried to do in that particular election was get the election thrown to the House of Representatives because they were splitting their votes all over the place. The United States was not really unified under anything. Then you get to the 1840s. James K. Polk, certainly John Tyler, was uh, not a unifying voice. James K. Polk and the war with Mexico called Mr. Polk's War. You had a large faction against that war. 1850s, I could say that uh, 1848, really, was Zachary Taylor. I think Zachary Taylor was a unifying candidate in 1848. And in many ways, he's overlooked. He's one of the most important figures of the middle of the 19th century. Here is a Virginian southern planter from New Orleans, from Louisiana, essentially. Uh, And he is um, in line with the Whig Party. He's He's getting northern votes. He's opposing the Southern secessionists. He was a unifying, a unifying figure, and in many ways, he modeled himself after George Washington. I think Zachary Taylor is one of the most important figures of the 19th century, one of my favorites in the 19th century, uh, because of this, this complexity around Zachary Taylor. But he dies. And so then we have Millard Fillmore, who was, in some ways, a unifying figure, though, uh, and he, he tried to play that off, I mean, as, as a unifier. He's a northerner, but yet he's getting southern support. Uh, do we have a unifying figure in Franklin Pierce? Maybe. I mean, the Democrats certainly uh, ha- were a major national party in 52, but uh, that led to 56 with Buchanan, who certainly was a unifying figure, and Lincoln definitely was a unifying figure. I mean, you can say Lincoln's unifying us all. Under what? I mean, you have 39% of the popular vote. Lincoln wasn't unifying. Lincoln was a divider. Lincoln led to a big war, right? So that's really not unifying in in the 1860s. Reconstruction was a mess. The early 20th century was a mess. And then we get to Franklin Roosevelt. This is the period that Joe Biden is talking about, 1932 to 1960. This is when Joe Biden grew up. Remember, the man was born in the 1940s. 1944, I believe, is when he was born. So he grew up in the 1950s. He was a young boy during the era of Eisenhower. Came of age in the Kennedy years, which you started to see some fracturing, but certainly Joe Biden, I mean, he was a young man in his teens when Kennedy was assassinated. But He saw Kennedy and Eisenhower and, of course, Roosevelt and Truman. He doesn't remember Roosevelt, but certainly Truman and Eisenhower in particular. He saw these people as unifying figures. And for about 20 years, I think you could say that American nationalism was supreme. This is the period of time that people are talking about when they talk about unifying America. Because once you get to 1963... All that goes away. Then you have the Vietnam era. America certainly wasn't unified during that. Then you have the Nixon administration, not really unified there. Were we unified around Jimmy Carter or Gerald Ford? I think you could say that there was some unification around Ronald Reagan, but we know politics were bitter in the 1980s. There was some unification around winning the Cold War in the 1980s. But the period of time we're really looking at is that period of 1932 and the Great Depression, and into the Eisenhower administration. See, Eisenhower was, he was dynamic conservatism. That was simply a softer New Deal. 
It's the New Deal that these people want to ensure is enshrined in the future. They want to ensure that that kind of unification, unifying around an executive branch that is extremely powerful, unifying around unconstitutional legislation, unifying around massive public works projects and massive intervention by the federal government with a Jeffersonian image. You see, 1932 is different than 1802 in that Jefferson was trying to rein in the government, whereas Roosevelt's trying to expand it. But they're both using the same kind of rhetoric. Town hall chats, fireside chats, Listen to me as I talk about the radio. We're going we're gonna to help the poor. We're going to help. This is about working people. This is, this is what we're going to do. But in the 1930s, you're getting authoritarian government with Jeffersonian rhetoric. Jefferson wasn't giving us authoritarian government. See, this is why Jefferson is the most consistent part of American history. Jefferson is consistent because Americans like the message, but they don't understand that the modern Jeffersonian is not Thomas Jefferson. The modern Jeffersonian has got a Hamiltonian tinge to it and using powerful government to the advantage of those in power. One thing I just saw was in Georgia, if Biden actually holds on to Georgia and the recount and all this stuff doesn't change anything, the reason Biden would have won Georgia is because of, not of working class people, but because of affluent people. Affluent people. They're the ones that voted for Biden. You see, this is the dirty little secret about the Democrats. They're really not the party of the people. They're the party of the affluent. They're the party of the big tech. They're the party of the people who are uh, interested in Wall Street. These are the people that are the driving force in the Democrat Party now. The elites, the coastal elites, they're driving the Democrats. But what Biden is talking about when he says we're going to build back, listen to what he's saying. He's saying we're going to have public works projects. We're going to invest in infrastructure. We're going to, this is basically the New Deal. He wants a New Deal. The left is talking about the Green New Deal. What does that mean? Well, I mean, it's, it's hearkening back to this period of time when we've got a oppressive central authority that can do unconstitutional things. This is exactly what the Biden administration is talking about, unity. It's unity if you agree with their positions on things. That's unity. It's not unity. I mean, if Biden really wanted to unify America, he would say, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take parts of what Trump wanted, and we're going to keep that stuff in place. We've got 70-something million people, 50% of the population that likes these things. So guess what? We're going to keep some of this in place, and we're going to do some of these other things that might be appeased to my... But he's not. He's going to come in and take that 50% and push him aside. For example, if Biden wanted to unify America, he would say, you know what? Uh, I think that it's important to maintain Confederate monuments because those speak to a certain faction of America. And if we're going to unify, this is what we need to do, unify. But he's not going to do that. He won't do that at all. He's not going to do anything that's going to appeal to uh, a faction of society that he thinks is corrupt and broken. That's real unity. I mean, Franklin Roosevelt made a stirring speech in front of a Robert E. Lee monument in Texas. He was a real unifier in that way. Jeffersonian. Biden has now lost some of that, but what he's trying to do is keep the government element there with some of the rhetoric. 
This is what they're talking about when he talks about unity. It is a Franklin Roosevelt hybrid situation. Because Franklin Roosevelt wasn't as concerned about social justice warriors as, of course, Joe Biden is. Because that wasn't a major faction of the Democrat Party at that particular point. Uh, And so he, he wasn't concerned about that. Even though you could say, I mean, Roosevelt, uh, I mean, he was trying to do things in his mind that would help white and black Southerners. And uh, because, of course, the South in the 1930s and 40s was where most black Americans lived. Even to this day, that's still the case. But regardless, this is what Joe Biden is talking about. This is what Joe Biden is doing. It's unity if you agree with my agenda. If you don't, you're out. But it's very much in line with a New Deal mentality, a 20-year period. It, was, it is the only period, the post-World War II period, New, New Deal, Great Depression, into the World War II and post-World War II, really is the only time in America where I think you could say that Americans were generally unified more than they were at any other period of time except the early 19th century. We've had two periods in American history where you can say that. Those are the two. Biden doesn't want to bring back the early 19th century. He wants to bring back the 1930s, 40s, and maybe in some ways the 50s. Though when you say these things, I'm, there was an interview I was watching with Candace Owens. And she was at some, uh, I forget what it was, but she was challenged on the stage, what period of time do you want to make America great again? And, and of course, she had a hard time answering that. But I mean, if you say the 1950s, well, then you're a segregationist. But I think what Owens should have said was that unifying period, that unifying time in America, if that's what we're really talking about here, when Americans were unified in a common cause for the greater good of America, you know, fighting the commies or fighting the Nazis or tackling the Depression, or if it's the 19th century with Jefferson reigning in, having a, a beautiful agrarian republic, reigning in the excessive spending and taxation. And you could say, well, yeah, as a black American, of course, we were recognized differently at that time, but wasn't the message, as we've gotten to the 21st century and we're not in segregation anymore, but can't we agree with the message of those time periods? That would be a beneficial thing for America moving forward. But regardless, I think this is what Joe Biden is talking about. He wants the 1930s back. Bring back the 1930s. These people talk about it all the time. They want Franklin Roosevelt's second Bill of Rights. His 1944 speech on the second Bill of Rights. This is what they want. It's been their talking point for now 70 plus years. Almost 80 years they've had the same talking points. This is what the Democrat Party wants with modifications now. They're going to add in the Green New Deal. They're going to add in some other things. But this is what they want. It's what they've wanted for 80 years. The simple historical explanation is that. All right. Well, that'll do it for this week of the Brian McClanahan Show. I was able to get in three episodes this week. First time in a while I've been able to do that, but I'll see you next time. See you next week. Now, if you again, well, before I say that, if you want me another time this week, get the Abbeville Institute podcast on the other side on Friday. Uh, I, I talk about all things Southern there. But for Brian McClanahan Show, that's it for this week. I'll see you next time. See you then.